Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. If you are just joining us, we are at the end of a, towards the end, I should say, of a 15-episode countdown of the top 15 most essential slash important episodes of Game of Thrones. This is our second-to-last episode where we are talking about Season 7, Episode 4, Spoils of War, written by Weiss and Benioff and directed by Matt Shackman. Um, we have one more episode after this. this that will be our most important, most vital, most essential Game of Thrones episode, uh, which we will announce towards the end of this particular episode. But for right now, we've been doing this chronologically. So we've reached all the way to season seven. And then our last episode will just be one we've plucked out of somewhere in the run as our most important. Um, Richard, are you excited to talk about Spoils of War? <laughs> I am. I feel like on this podcast, I've been like a little bit like, oh, once they ran out of book material, the show kind of lost me, whatever. This is a really good episode. Like, it's just really well done, really well acted, really well written. Um, and it, it, it takes moments to sort of consider the emotional weight of everything while also moving the plot forward. So, um, hats off to, to, to them. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, this, this one, like, 
you know, season seven was a little hit or miss for me. Um, and, and this idea of like balancing spectacle and, and substance. But, um, this episode is like the quintessential marriage of like character and spectacle for me. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, before we get to our episode discussion, uh, we wanted to do a few little things that we like to do here on Still Watching. First of all, we want to remind you that if you're not already a Vanity Fair subscriber, you can go to GameThrones.com slash Thrones, enter the promo code THRONES, get a whole year digital, print, tote bag, the whole thing for $7.50, which is insane. $7.50, whole year, Vanity Fair. You can go, you can read all our Vanity Fair stuff. You can read every review that Rich is going to file from Can. It's going to be a great time on VF.com and you want to join us for that. Richard, why do you think people should jump on the $7.50 deal for Vanity Fair? Because if they don't, we're going to burn their army down? Great. Uh, uh, we will hop on our dragons and roast you to bits and pieces if you don't know. No threats, uh, just... <laughs> Just metaphorically. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Figuratively. We'll we'll um, we'll scorch you with our words. <laughs> speaking of fake of uh, subscribing to things, um, we should mention that you're going to be doing. There's going to be a Game of Thrones newsletter that people can subscribe to, right? Yeah, you can. Uh, you know, so I write some stuff about Game of Thrones sometimes, and uh, if you want, <laughs> just a few things. Uh, I actually just did an interview, and and the guy fact checked how many like podcasts and articles that I've done about Game of Thrones, and he came up with eight hundred, which made me like w- want to pass out a little bit. But um, wow. So anyway, I write a few things about Game of Thrones. If you want that delivered to your inbox via email uh, during the season, there is something that we're doing called the Westeros Update. So if you go to www.westerosupdate.com, you can subscribe to this newsletter, basically. Get get the latest Thrones content from VanityFair.com. So westerosupdate.com, you just type your email in and then bam, you're done. Um, all right. So let us get into uh, uh, my challenge that I set for myself uh, on these episodes is to recap the episode in 15 words or less. Uh, I have gotten a little lazier with trying to hit all the points as we've gone on because uh, hopefully this episode's a little bit fresher in people's memories. But anyway, uh, I'm just calling this one Daenerys Targaryen invites House Lannister to a barbecue. That's this one. There's actually a lot of other stuff that happens in Spoils of War, but you know. Um, and in some senses, doesn't House Lannister invite themselves to that barbecue? Oh, they're always doing that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. forever self-inviting um and then we want to you know just hand out a few awards before we get to our episode discussion our first award is the obvious mvp of the episode i'm gonna give it to my boy my constant problematic fave jamie lannister who do you have richard uh mine is i think also obvious it's stroke on the dragon I love it. Um, and then we got to do sneaky MVP. I'm going to give it to the lovely Tom Hopper that people might know from Umbrella Academy or Black Sails. Shows up for like two episodes as recast as Sam's brother, Dick and Tarly. And uh, he just do- he does a nice job making you care about him a little bit uh, in this episode. So sneaky MVP, Tom Hopper is Dick and Tarly. Who do you have, Richard? I think it's Davos Seaworth for finally kind of hinting at what we've all been knowing in terms of John having a crush on Danny. He finally oh. kind of gets at it in this episode, and you're like, thank you. Yes. <laughs> finally. Um, all right. And then we we want to read out our favorite quote from the episode. Uh, this is where we do really embarrassing accents and try to do impressions of the characters on the show. Uh, and I usually feel miserably. I don't have a quote from the battle itself. My My quote comes from Winterfell, and it's, chaos is a ladder 
which is uh, Bran spooking Littlefinger by quoting his own words back to him. So chaos is a ladder. That's a callback to an earlier speech from the show. Richard, what is your quote? Well, it's it's a, it's a little bit of dialogue. So it's um, Sir Jamie, Rickon, Dickon. <laughs> and then Bran laughs at Dickon. Because who would? Yeah, I feel like this, the... the like the joke is good because they do it in the earlier season episode when you meet Dick and Tarly for the first time, he calls him something else as well. Um, probably also Rickon, but um, I think it was just like the show is trying really hard to get you to remember who Dick and Tarly is, so that when they uh, roast him, spoiler alert, in the next episode, you you might care a little bit because they like just recast him, so it's a new actor. And they have two episodes, and they're like, "Okay, remember his name is Dickon. Remember, you got, mm-hmm. we're gonna need you to be upset next week when when Daenerys kills them." Anyway, and like George saddled us with this ridiculous name. <laughs> so here we go. Um, all right, and then best dressed. Um, I, I, this is sort of like me biting off an earlier thing I said, which was, uh, I think earlier I voted for Tywin Lannister and his Lannister armor. I'm going to give it to Jamie Lannister and his Lannister armor in this episode. He looks really good in that, in that red armor facing down the dragon. Uh, one of my favorite things that's ever happened. Richard, what is your, what is your vote? Best dressed. I mean, there's a lot of good winter wear happening in Winterfell, <laughs> you know, yes. but I got to say, and it's more of an accessory, but I love Bran and his like kind of pre-Victorian wheelchair. It's just a very like dashing look. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Isaac Hempstead Wright told me in an earlier uh, episode of this podcast, uh, when we covered home that he, um, he has actually like this beautiful, really cool wizard's robe that Michelle Clapton made for him that he's wearing all the time, but he's just like sitting down and covered in furs all the time that you like can't tell. He's like, but when you stand up, it's really cool. And I was like, Oh, what a shame. <laughs> <laughs> like beautiful costume was never seen. Um, all right. And then the last thing we're going to do is we're going to pick like a ship from the episode, two characters or inanimate objects or whatever that we wish would really get together. And um, I'm going to give it to our joint MVPs, Drogon and Jamie. I want them to just like hug it out and maybe Jamie gets to ride that dragon. Like, why not? Um, who's your who's your ship in this episode, Richard? I know he doesn't deserve it, but when Theon gets off the boat and John like looks at him and Theon clearly expects him to like something really bad to happen, I was like, oh, maybe they're going to hug. I had forgotten, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, I've, in that second, I wanted them to be, be like friends again. Yeah. Um, if they ever really were friends. But then I was like, oh, right. But Theon did a lot of bad shit. So he really did. Yeah. And I love that scene. And we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit some of the non, uh, you know, battlefield stuff that happens in this episode. Um, but that is a really good pick. This is an interesting episode because it, um, Matt Shackman is the director of this episode, but he felt like a, and when he was announced, everyone was like, what? Cause he's like a, a comedy TV director. He's a, it, it, he's in, it's always a sunny in Philadelphia director. But like the, it's always sunny guys are like friends with Weiss and Benioff and some other people. And so like that relationship doesn't seem that confusing to me, but you're sort of like, what is Shackman doing here when like, you know, there are other names like Miguel Sapochnik decided to sit this season out. Like, uh, but David Nutter actually told us in a previous episode of this podcast that uh, he was supposed to, or at, at least at one point was in contention to direct this episode. He directed like the red wedding and Cersei's walk and all this other stuff. Um, but that he injured his back and so he couldn't do it. So Matt Shackman was sort of like a tap in, but he did an amazing job with this episode is so good so yeah it's it's both emotionally resonant and the action stuff is you know 
pretty like awe-inspiring uh and um and it all feels like it feels like this episode is super jam-packed with stuff and yet you don't feel like kind of overwhelmed by it yeah um we we have the um the Winterfell stuff, which as we mentioned, there's like this Brandon Littlefinger conversation, but there's like Arya Stark comes back to Winterfell in this episode. Arya Stark was in home. And since season one comes back and she has some scenes with Sansa, some scenes with Bran, she gets a new weapon. And then she has this like really amazingly fun duel with uh, Bran of Tarth, Gwendolyn Christie, one of my favorite things that happens in season seven. What do you think of this, all this Winterfell stuff? I think it's great. I love it. I love the re- reunion stuff. I mean, that's just sort of, I'm sort of a sucker for that. But I think it's wonderful seeing these actors together again and realizing how much they've grown as actors since they were last together, you know? Like, I think Maisie Williams is really wonderful in the scene down in the, in the crypt where she's, you know, it just feels very sort of angry but forlorn and reconnecting with her sister, uh, which is going to be a hard thing to do as later episodes in the season prove. Um, and I also think that Sansa watching um the duel or the kind of fake duel between Brienne and Arya it's a beautiful efficient way to communicate Sansa learning oh my god where has my sister been what has she learned like you know it's just like a really um neat way of kind of packaging that you know rather than have Arya kind of like lay it all out in exposition yeah, absolutely. And like the stuff with Arya and Sansa becomes less enjoyable for me as the season goes on. Like I think yeah. some of the tension feels a little manufactured. So I, I, I really like this stuff. And then I like, like the very end of the, like the finale when like they're working together and they, they talk, you know, the stuff in between is some of the stuff that I didn't love in season seven. So it's nice to revisit this episode, just like see them reunite, see Arya fight Brienne with this, like all this great uh, integration of all the different fighting styles she's learned, see little Little finger thrown for a loop in a way that um you know Sansa kind of catches him off guard here and there over the seasons but like Bran really really fucks with Littlefinger and like it's it's so funny it's an introduce it's an introduction of a new uh dynamic in the world where like strivers and schemers like Littlefinger can't survive in a realm where there's someone who knows everything that's ever happened with like Bran, you know what I mean? Like Littlefinger's superpowers are nothing compared to like, you know, when Bran can see it all, you know. Right. And it's interesting, you know, like for as sort of connected and sort of devious and successful as Littlefinger is he feels like one of those characters who like, did he really ever actually believe the sort of magic stuff, you know, was he using that superstition to his advantage? And then seeing Bran, he's like, Oh wait, like (laughs) this actually is real. Yeah. And I think that we see a lot of characters have those realizations over the years in the show. And I think it's always satisfying because we've known the whole time. Yeah, that's true. And a big part of it is Jamie in this episode, Jamie seeing his first dragon. Right. Yes, exactly. You know. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's, let's hop over to King's Landing, uh, really quickly, which is just Cersei, you know, paying her debts as the Lannisters tend to do and talking about some mercenaries she's going to hire. So that's just fine. It's just Lena Headey, like, you know, scheming and drinking wine and doing whatever she likes to do or not. It's always, you know. Yeah. It's always been funny to me that Westeros does its banking overseas. Like, off <laughs> Yeah, it's the Cayman Islands. Bravos is the Cayman Islands of Game of Thrones. Like they're very intimately tied and sort of reliant on Bravos in this way that you think of Westeros being very like proud and self sufficient and you know. Um so I just think it's like a funny detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um and then and then like let's just cover uh Dragonstone before we go to the battle, which is um 
John Janaris has this very romantic little date in a cave. Uh, we get to hear a new piece of music from R- Ramin Javadi, uh, which I think is called Dragon Glass, uh, which is sort of the John and Daenerys love theme. We hear it kind of for the first time in this episode. And there was some really, um, I'm, I think I've mentioned this before that I'm notoriously bad at hearing, um, the music and the themes on this show, but, uh, some, some people are much smarter than I am, like broke down the Dragon Glass theme and noticed that there's like part of John and Egret's theme in it. And it's part of Call, Call Drogo and Danny's theme in it. And it sort of blends together to be like, these are, I find it, which I find like oddly really touching. It's like we take our life experiences, our previous relationships, and we bring them to the table, you know, as we embark on this new relationship. Am I over overthinking this? Or no, no, I think that's kind of lovely. Um, you know, I think, I think it's lovely, even though I don't think that like Danny and John are like made for each other. You know what I mean? Um, it all feels, I mean, like, it, it can't help but feel rushed. You know what I mean? There are, there are things that are seasons in the making, and then there's this, which just, you know, they've got three episodes or four episodes or whatever to make you believe that. No, like, this is, this is episode four, right? Or episode five? Episode yeah, four. four. Um, you know, so they've got like three episodes, really, to make you be like, this is it. Endgame, John and Daenerys, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, Kit and Amelia are on the cover, you know, like, they're the, they're the ad campaign for season eight, you know, it's Kit and Amelia. And it's like, there's part of it is like, we've been with these characters for so long that like, we're invested in their journey. And so you put these, you mash these two big, you know, heroic burdened with destiny people together. And that's a big deal. But like, there's just, there's just so little time. And so it just all feels, you know, whereas like Egret and John frolicked North of the wall for a while before, you know, she took him into that cave. So it's, it's just a different timeline, a different pacing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get, I, I do get the, you know, in, in sort of like, in terms of the, the text, like, I, I get why these two young people who have been spending years with the weight of the world on their shoulders would meet each other and be like, oh my God, finally someone who gets it, you know, even right. though they're a bit wary of each other. So like, that makes sense to me, but I just think, I don't think that the show is thematically heading toward a place where, um, Danny and John are like the great loves. I think it's their, their kind of coupling is almost more like, strategic or something you know what i mean like i don't think they know that but i think in terms of the storytelling yeah and i don't i don't i mean like certainly the fact that they're related might be something we want to consider um Mm -hmm. and i don't um i mean and certainly what's also true is that uh the this is not usually a story of happy ever afters so it's not you know john and daenerys get matching iron thrones and raise their uh, tots in king's landing or something like that um but, you know, in terms of them coming together, like, this is the song of ice and fire that is, like, you know, she's, you know, he's ice, she's fire. Um, and then, you know, we, we are not talking about any other season seven episodes. This is our last one, uh, that we're talking about in season seven. So we should just mention, you know, like that they, uh, you know, they, they consummate their flirtation in the final episode of the season. And what seems to me by all the hints that they drop in season seven is that like Daenerys is definitely going to get pregnant with this baby. Uh, and so whatever that baby is, um, with her nephew's baby. Yeah. Welcome to Game of Thrones. So whatever, so her baby feels like maybe an important element of like, maybe the baby is the song of ice and fire or something like that. But that, the, you know, there, I, I agree with you. I don't know if you're right that like the show doesn't want us to think that they are like 
sort of romantic endgame. But I do think that they also serve this function of like they come together. Like Melisandre even says this. Melisandre in season seven says, um, you know, when she comes to Daenerys and she tells her about the Azor Ahai, uh, you know, Messiah prophecy or whatever, and, and Missandei points out, helpfully, like, oh, it's princess. It could be princess or prince that was promised. And Melisandre's like, uh, you have a role to play, Daenerys, and Jon Snow has a role to play. That She says that. She just says that. And then later she says, I've done my job. I brought ice and fire together. And so I feel like this is all like make a baby language. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you guys together maybe will create the Messiah that we need possibly. I don't know. Even though secretly the Messiah is Gilly's baby. Absolutely. It's definitely little Sam. Okay. Um, and then uh, what else happens to the dragon? Okay. And then like, you know, um, can we talk about the cave drawings? Yes, let's please talk about the cave drawings. Um, did you do them, Richard? Did you sneak under Dragonstone and do? It kind of looked like I did them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. They're not very good. But also, I think you know, I, I love, love. I've said it so many times on this podcast, but like, I love the history of this story and like when they look back into the ancient stuff, and I think it's just really intriguing. Um, I just wish that the drawings had looked older. You know, production design wise, I wish they were a little more faded, a little less like literal or something. I don't know. But um, I do appreciate when the show pauses and, and considers its history. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't I don't want to like knock production design too much, but it did like crack me up. The memes that came up around it were like people were like Jon Snow dusting like the chalk off his hands or whatever, because like obviously it like helps him prove his case. And right. so they're like, it would have been, you know. Uh, fortuitous for him uh, to have done those cave drawings for his own end and sort of thing. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, like yeah. right under her house. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. How convenient. <laughs> He's like da da da. Here they go. Um, yeah, and then we get all this stuff about Daenerys learning that Tyrion's uh, that Highgarden fell. Uh, my one of my regrets about the fact that we only did fifteen episodes of this rewatch, Richard, is that we didn't get to do the death of Olena. Um, so do you want to do your impression of Olena Tyrell's last words, uh, for us as Highgarden fell? Tell Cersei. I wanted to know it was me. Yeah. So good. So like Highgarden fell, that's a big thing that happened. Um, and you know, Tyrion has to tell Daenerys that that happened and she's like, okay, great. I'll just burn everything with my dragon. He's like, how about we, how about selective burning? Um, which results in, in Daenerys attacking Jamie Lannister on the road to King's Landing instead of torching King's Landing directly. Um, I like, I like yeah. the moments when you see characters kind of look at Danny like, eh, is she a little crazy? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, because yeah. I, I, I think it's, it's an important part of her characterization that she too has this slight disease inside of her, which is this, this bloodthirsty, you know, um, want of power and um yes we've been rooting for her since the beginning and like she's better than a lot of other people but like i like when she's put in her in in that that context you know however briefly. yeah mm-hmm. i completely agree um and then yeah and then we get this battle and something that the um you know the the writers producers etc like to like to tout was like that this is the first time we see a showdown um between two characters that you know like the villains are gone ramsey's dead joffrey's dead tywin's gone blah blah, blah. the night king's still lurking about but 
like um, these are our heroes at, at sort of cross purposes uh, with each other. And I mean, if you want to call Jamie Lannister that, which I do. Um, and so uh, that's not like entirely true. I think Brian Cogman brought up in our um, episode that we did about the children that like Brienne fighting the hound counted. But this yeah. something something he said, which I thought was really interesting is like, this is the first time we really see Danny clashing with people because like she's been divorced from the main plot for so long. So here's Daenerys right. coming at loggerheads with these Westerosi storylines that we've been watching for so long. And it's like Jamie being like, it's like, you know, I've heard about the dragon Targaryen princess out, you know, East, whatever. And then actually seeing her and being like, Oh my God, it's real. <laughs> like she's like, it's a little bit like little finger too, you know, like, like you said. And um, I just think those moments are so satisfying because again, we've spent so many years with Danny and to want to see, to realize like, Oh, he's never seen her before. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's cool, and I think it's also just like, you know, the visceral little kid in me. It's like dragons. Oh my god! And it's <laughs> and it's and it's 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 hasn't it's been a while on the show since the dragons have kind of excited me, and I think that this, um, you know, sequence does it so well. Like like reminds us of the dragons' kind of majesty, while also I think showing us that like this is a really br- brutal form of warfare you know and yeah. and i mean it's all brutal but like you know what i mean like it's a it's a it's a bad way to go uh and it's a bad thing to do to people and she's doing it with glee and we're kind of like cheering her on and that all starts to feel a bit squicky and i think that that is beautifully illustrated in Tyrion's reaction shots Tyrion's reaction shots and then also my guy jamie because like there's this moment where nicolai costa as jamie lannister looks around the battlefield and looks around at all these people on fire and then decides to make that like really foolish charge at the dragon which is similar to you know like and you have to think about all of jamie's context because we talked about this a lot when we did the kiss by fire episode but like the whole idea of the fact that like jamie lannister saved king's landing by killing the mad king heiress from using wildfire to burn king's landing and then here comes Eris's daughter to burn a bunch of soldiers, uh, not with wildfire, with dragon fire, but it's like similar. And he's like, this is what I like. This is what I ruined my entire reputation in order to prevent back at, you know, in Robert's rebellion. And here it is again. And so here I am going to go again and make this foolhardy charge at something uh, in order. And, it, and it's like shot almost like a like a Vietnam War movie. You know what I mean? You just see these like it's like napalm. You just like see these people on fire. And, and you know, in later in this ep- this podcast episode, we're talking to Sam Conway, who does the special effects. Uh, and, and I think they I believe they broke the world's record for like number of stuntmen they set on fire at once. They set 30 people oh on God. fire. Yeah. So like, you know, they did they did so much they do so much like practically and that's something you know like the 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 cgi of the dragon looks so good but there's also just Mm -hmm. like they do so much work with like actual fire and you can tell and it just makes it feel it doesn't feel like a cartoon oh dragon is just torched a bunch of people it feels so visceral and real in this uh, uh battle i also love um i don't even know how to describe it but in the score whenever the dragons do something that like descending kind of yeah. sound do you know what i mean yeah I uh, spoiler I, I mean we can just say can we say what our final episode is should we just no, say we it? should wait let's wait let's wait uh, okay uh i'll have more on that in that episode but um okay. anyway um yes that it's a great little like like descending yeah, it's a sort little hans zimmery but like yeah <laughs> uh, so you know good. in a fun way yeah i really like it um and then uh 
And then also one of my favorite shots of all of Game of Thrones is in this episode, which is um, the Dothraki uh, screamers, the the riding in, and they got these like horse stunt guys to like actually like stand up on their horses, uh, mm-hmm. doing what uh, my my friend called horse horse parkour, and it's just like it's just once again it's this practical effect you know he's actually in camera you've got these stunt guys on these you know these riding stunt guys on horses and they just look incredible and you could have cg'd that but it would have looked like garbage and it just looks so good and at this point you know i i knock game of thrones all the time for the fact that like there's so much more spectacle more battle whatever as the series goes on um but like the fact that they have more you know and when they when they promoted the season they're like epic biggest dragon ever blah 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 but like but when they put the money down to do so much of it practically and to make it look as good as it does then you just get to forget that you're watching a story about dragons and just like get swept away and like what what's Braun doing what's what's Jamie doing what is Tyrion watching sort of thing you know yeah totally I mean I'm I'm with you in terms of being a little bit leery of like the the maximalized game of thrones where everything has to be an epic battle scene or whatever but like when it's done well you know and it's a little bit different than what you've seen before um it's it's pretty exciting you know so hats off to a a comedy director for nailing it (laughs) yeah and i mean i think not to like deprive matt shackman of his credit but i think at this point on thrones it's like such a like a unit do you know what I mean? Like their DPs, their special effects people, their production design people, their stunt people, you know, that they, like, it's a machine and you step into it. I don't, yeah. th- I like, I don't think a single director on Game of Thrones could fuck it up at this point is my point because it's like the machinery is too intense. But I think, you know, as we discussed with like the door, you know, with Jack Bender and the door, I think there are directors who can bring just like, something more to it something miguel sapochnik certainly does and whatever it is that max shackman did on this it i you know i only have one episode of game of thrones to understand what his directing style for game of thrones is but it's like uh it's a good one so one of you know i'm not gonna knock i mean it, i think you know. i think like i could have fucked it up if that if i'd want I'm, i mean i'm not i guess technically a director but <laughs> you know what i mean like um yeah but you're right i mean i, sh- I should give credit to the um the this crew that does all this amazing stuff and is used to it and that, that has made it so like, yeah, the directors, while not interchangeable exactly, certainly right. um, are, are only one part of a very big, beautiful machine. And that's, I mean, that's sort of, I, you know, not to get too sentimental or, or self-aggrandizing or anything like that, but I, that's kind of been the point of this podcast is to revisit mm-hmm. like a bunch of the people who have um, gone, you know, gone slightly unheralded here and there, uh, who have been so instrumental in making this. I love, like, everything that Paula Fairfield, who does the, like, sounds on the dragons said on the last episode, um, is just, is so interesting when you watch this episode and you think of the fact that she, like, considers these dragons like her children because she's been like making the noises for them since they were like babies you know toddlers Mm -hmm. and like you know um something she said that i loved is there's like it's not just like the dragon roar it's the the sound of the dragon bodies as they move like all the sound as well as the visuals make you buy into the fact that this is a dragon is an actual thing with weight and and power and and if you can buy into that 
then you can buy into the story that they're trying to tell you. And the, but that's instrumental. Like, cause if you have a shitty CG thing, uh, and there's a million examples that we could give you of that in, in film, in television, then I'm just like, I'm just distracted watching that, that shitty CG. So this is like, you know, this is more like Jurassic Park where like, I believe those dinosaurs are real. And I believe at least in this, iteration maybe not some of the like early early baby dragon stuff but in these iterations i believe those dragons are real and have weight and have power and it's 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 huge i agree all right is there anything else you want to say about this episode if i wax poetic enough about it <laughs> uh just uh you know goodbye dickin we hardly knew you i mean <laughs> i mean he has one more episode i know but yeah, the only thing I didn't like actually about this episode uh, is I really don't like the way it ends because it ends with like this, I think, pretty stupid cliffhanger of like Jamie and Braun sinking into the yeah. the, the water there. Uh, and we find out that they're fine the next episode. And I just feel like it was it was like a bit of like a little bit of a cheap because, OK, so you have this this battle between two people we care about. And, um, you know, something that I've heard the showrunner say is like, you know, and someone you care about is going to die. But actually what's true is that nobody we care about actually dies in this battle, right? Like, mm-hmm. Br- Daenerys is fine. Drogon's fine. Bronn's fine. Jamie's fine. Tyrion's fine. The Tarleys we don't actually really care about. So, like, you know, the fact that they die next week is fine. But it ends with this like implication that maybe Braun and Jamie are not going to make it. I don't mind. I don't mind Braun saving Jamie. I don't mind them like last minute missing the dragon fire. I don't mind them like landing in the river and it washing them downstream and them escaping. I just, I just mind that it ended with this sort of will they survive kind of thing. And that it felt like yeah, just like a little bit of a cheap shot in terms of storytelling that this episode didn't need because it was so good, you know. Yeah, totally. And it's like abrupt also, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, we just ran out of time. Goodbye, you know? Um, but other than that, I think it's a, it's a really strong episode. Perhaps I was one of the, the yeah. best of the season. Yeah. I mean, really, that's why we picked it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like people might quibble with the fact that we didn't pick the finale and that's fine. There's just like a lot of stuff that happens in the back half of the season that feels to me like the show on fast forward. And, mm-hmm. um, this is, this is, I think the last point of the season where I am like fully on board with it. Um, but yeah, I mean like to be perfectly honest with you, if you are genuinely doing this 15 episode rewatch with us, um, you might want to go ahead and rewatch the dragon and the wolf, which is the season seven finale. Like, you know, why not? I mean, it's going to be your previously on, you're going to want us like just, Oh yeah. little finger died. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, did. <laughs> I, I rewatched it after yeah. watching this one. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah I might as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fair enough. We're not going to talk about it, but you know, you should probably watch it. Fair enough. You know? Um, all right. Well, that is it for our discussion of spoils of war. Uh, we are now going to go to our interview with special effects supervisor, Sam Conway. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. 
Follow Critics at Large today wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, so we're talking about Spoils of War, which is the episode where the Game of Thrones production team broke the Guinness Book of World Records for most stuntmen burned at the same time, which is 20. Uh, So it is only fitting that we are speaking with special effects supervisor, Sam Conway. Sam Conway, for those who don't know, what exactly does a special effects supervisor do? Um, We mostly create effects, physical effects, um, in camera. Um, uh, In other words, in reality. Uh, And we also add to VFX um, element shoots and plate shots. You know, we give them things that they need and they put them into their work. But specifically, you know, we're, we're involved with a sort of like, you know, mostly destruction. Uh, so we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, um, <clears throat> we'll build gates that we can destroy, you know, explode or break. We'll, uh, we'll be doing a lot of fire stuff too. We're involved with the stunts, the stunt burns. Um, we do a lot of, um, hydraulic work. Uh, pneumatics, animatronics, um, what else do we do? Well, quite atmospherics as well, you know, and, uh, for the, for the phones, uh, stuff, we were doing a lot of the snow as well, all the snow. Ah. So, yeah, so fell a bit, I think. <laughs> I was talking to, <laughs> I was talking to Deb Riley and she said the fake snow is one of her least favorite aspects of Game of Thrones because it just sort of gets everywhere. Is it possible to deal with? It's one of those things that you can, you can finish a job six months ago and you'll still be fine in the snow. <laughs> yes, it's just everywhere. It's always there. <laughs> My understanding is that, um, you get the scripts and then you sit down with sort of the more digital effects side of things and you guys go through the script and say, okay, we can do this practically. We're going to have to do this digitally. Is that, is that accurate? Uh, well, so basically what we tend to do is we sit down with, with, with sort of, you know, in a pre-production sort of mode alongside, say I'd have meetings with, with VFX and then we work out, you know, where the parameters are, uh, what I can do physically, um, and what they can provide uh, VFX wise and then, you know, basically sort of becomes a bit of a symbiotic kind of, you know, uh, department, really. <clears throat> department of two, two halves. Um, yeah, that's kind of how it works. <laughs> Has there ever been a conversation where, you know, digital effects says, obviously, we have to do this. And you're like, no, we can do this practically. And this is how I'm going to do it. Anything that you sort of fought for on that front? Yeah, certainly. But I mean, what, what the, the reason is, is that uh, Joe Barra really... Um, would prefer to do anything physically um and you know and that's great but obviously i can't build dragons and stuff like that so so there's 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 obviously limitations that i just cannot do uh and what i do is tend to give him what what he needs to make it convincing Mm -hmm. hence hence the fire all the fire breathing you know all that's real 
You know, that's all. Everything that everything every time you see fire in front of you, it's all will. We provided it. So that's yeah. that's always a fun one of the fun. Um, behind the scenes, uh, you know, videos that you see is, is these contraptions you've built that just shoot fire. You know, it's just these like rigging yeah. that shoot fire around yeah. the set and stuff like that. That's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, um, yeah. We, we become almost complacent with all that. We just bring it out, upset it up, bang it off and then put it away again. Oh, you know, it's just, it's just dragon fire. It's, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just shoots a flame 120 foot, but, you know, don't worry about that. <laughs> when you do, yeah, so. yeah, when you do something like, uh, though, um, like season six, uh, the wildfire, that's all digital, right? Wildfire is digital? Yeah, so wildfire, because we, we you know, um, my predecessor, Stuart Newton, he um, was asked if he could do, I think it was uh, season three, and there was a, the attack in the harbour, the black, black oh, season um, two. harbour. Season two, yeah. Is it season two? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, well done, thank you. <laughs> anyway, so they, originally they were asked to, to, we were asked to do green flyer, and it's it's very hard to do, and it's very, especially that scale. So it became obvious that uh, VFX, we give them the fire and then they colourise it. Like, for example, the one you've just said, with the start of that whole explosion was in the basement in the cellar. And uh, so what I did was to build a half-scale set and then stand it upright and then did a couple of um, uh, fuel explosions. And the camera's mounted at the end and it comes rushing towards the camera as if it's like, you know, yeah. uh, actually happening in, in the vault itself. So then VFX took those flames, took that effect and put it into its environment with a green colour. Oh, that's amazing. So like that shot, uh, I think the shot you're just describing is like the one where you can see like the barrels on either side of sort of the that's hallway the and it's like coming right at you. And that's actual fire yeah, that's, that's it, been yeah. treated. Oh, very cool. That's actual fire. That's a half scale set. Oh, very cool. Interesting. <laughs> and then, so yeah, so you came on in, in season four, is that right? Yeah, I started in season four for um, Wolf Unit. I was one in the floor um, Wolf Unit. So there's, there's two units, there's Dragon Unit and Wolf Unit. And it's like basically first unit or main unit and second unit, you know? It's that sort of thing, really. Right. And then is Wolf the one in Belfast or is Wolf the one sort of abroad? Uh, well, uh, strangely enough, the, the Wolf Unit was the one that was mostly going abroad. Okay. Uh, the Dragon Unit was, would stay in in Belfast. Mm-hmm. And Wolf Unit would go off to do the sort of like, uh, you know, the Morocco, the um, uh, Croatia. Right and the Spain thing. So, so what was the what was the first thing you did on season four that made you really feel like wow I've I've stepped into this really cool new job? I was gobsmacked with the kind of the scale of what what you know what they had, you know I mean like the, the big snow sets and the, you know the, the going going away and, and whisking, taking a whole unit over into another country and taking over locations for a TV show. I thought that was quite stunning. You know, I'm quite ambitious and. You know, pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, those early days, there weren't, there wasn't really a great deal of effects work. I mean, it was, but it wasn't like, you know, it was, it was like you know, making sets look cool. Um, but no, kind of like you know, the dragons were too small, and there wasn't too many serious battles going on. So right, you had like a little bit of drag, like a little bit of dragon, like a puff of fire, and that's about it. You know? Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think the <laughs> 
that it starts get get it got a bit more exciting in, in season five when we did the Dasnik. Right, the fighting pit where Drogon swoops in to save Daenerys from the Harpy attack. So then we were out there doing that. And that's when it started ramping up a bit. I think that was hard home season actually. I think Dragon were doing hard home and we were out there doing that. Do you wish that you had gotten to be on the hard home shoot at all? You're kidding me, right? <laughs> All that snow. Yeah, all that love, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could be in Spain. Same fire stuntmen. Okay, and I I I know that uh you know there was there was much discussion in season seven about um all the stuntmen you set on fire for spoils of war that it was like a big a record breaking yeah. conflagration sort of yeah. thing. Can you talk about some of the discussions around that when you decided you were gonna do that? When someone told you that's crazy, don't do that, and you were like, Nope, we're gonna do it, let's do it. Yeah. So uh, it all came about when you know, the early sort of pre production or, or yeah, production meetings rather, not pre production. Uh discussing how we do uh, the um the kind of uh we break down the previs. There's there's a previs that gets made and we all sit around breaking it down, working out you know, if you've got a shot where there's say twenty men and they all get hit by dragon fire, then do we do do we do that in, in bits? Do we make it so it's like four men at a time or something like that? Um but Rowley was keen because obviously it's a record, Rowley was keen to do it do all twenty in one hit. Um, you know, and I I I wasn't shying away from that. The only sort of thing I my concern was twenty people is a is a lot and there's a lot of heat generated. So I, I was concerned about the people in the middle, basically, the stunt guys in the middle. But uh, work, we developed a nice system of um, of igniting stuntmen and also um, the strafe as well. We we also worked out a really good system for the strafe work. And because we coincided the two, we put strafe and we put the igniters amongst the stuntmen. And we also came out of a really nice um, uh, stunt flame gel, um, which which would light instantly. You know, I mean, most stunt gels are normally they take a take a little while, a little bit too long to to, to light up. So we came up with a real nice system, but we came up with that system for Dasnik, that that method. So from Dasnik onwards, we've we've been using that all the time. What is a uh, stunt gel made of? What is that? <laughs> well, that'd be a secret, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's, 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 wait, it's, it's, some, it's something flammable, but something that doesn't you know uh, uh, make itself obvious. You know, because some some of the gels are, are, are a colour. They're normally like um, they're normally clear and they're burnt to white, or they're normally like a glue, and you can see the glue. You know, like a contact adhesive. So this stuff you can't, and as I say, it not it, it, it lights instantly. So which is perfect for the stunt for all these stunt gags that needed something like that. You've mentioned the the Dasnik Drogon drops down and barbecues a bunch of Sons of the Harpy and stuff like that. But there's yeah. this other big Daenerys fire scene in season four when she's like negotiating over the dragons and, and then you just see that she burns a slave master and then there's that iconic like fire going everywhere. Um, how did you pull that one off? So basically that was all um, uh, trays, fire trays um, with, a, with a pyrotechnic um, igniter. Sometimes, you know, wind can kick up you weren't expecting and then the flames come towards the lovely um, hair sprayed hair. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah. Has, it, has has the hairspray ever caught on on set of Game of Thrones? No, it was when I when I, I remember once when I was a child. It's just a little story. When I was a child, and we were out for lunch in London with my parents, and uh, this woman had gone to the toilet, and she'd obviously given her hair a bit of a spruce up. And when she came back, when she lit, when she lit a cigarette, not only did her hair go up, but her jumper gap went up as well. 
Oh yeah. my god! <laughs> so that's yeah. that's forever in your head when you're forever in my head. Effects. Just a simple <laughs> cigarette lighter. <laughs> that was enough. So, <laughs> can you recall anything that you did um, in the early seasons that you? thought was really, you know, big or daunting at the time. And now you look back and you're like, oh, man, I didn't even know how, yeah. how big it was going to get. <laughs> yeah. My background is, is more complex than, than you know, than the, the phone's TV experience at the start. Uh, so, I, you know, I had it all in my in my arsenal anyway, my mental arsenal. Um, but um, going, you know, thinking about the, the sort of ambitious stuff at the early days, I mean, there was lots of stuff out in Croatia that we're, we're doing, like, I suppose, the shame walk. That was quite big and ambitious. Yeah. Um, you know, we had gags to do in that, which were, you know, they had to be, they had to happen at certain times because that's the kind of the whole process was, was a handheld camera following her all the way through. And she went through lots of different areas and every area there was something going on. So that was quite, that was quite daunting, sort of thinking about that. So, what was your what What exactly is your job in um, in like the walk in Cersei's walk? What What is your team working on? Well, we had um, we had uh, well, you have you have the sort of general atmosphere that's going on anyway. So, you've got lots of stalls that have got lots of things going on, like smoke and bits and pieces, and then there's dust in the air, and there's uh, people um, gobbing, you know, uh, uh, spitting. So, I said. You know, spitting at her. Um, there's people throwing feces and stuff, which is you know all this sort of thing. We we manufacture the spit and the feet and the feces, um, and sometimes in some cases throw it. Um, you know that that sort of thing. It's just it was difficult to kind of make sure that we all went through the right bits and pieces. So I forgot that you do the the snot. I had forgotten that that's in your yeah. department. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those ones. It's either either falls into makeup or it, it, you know or it falls in props if it if, it, if it's on something already or you know. But generally mm-hmm. speaking, you know, it's we did a kind of a flying snot sort of stuff that happens. <laughs> if it travels through the air, we tend to do it. Um, and then you, you do the, uh, not to get too gruesome, but you do the blood as well, right? Yes, we do. Lots of blood. Um, basically, as I said, this goes back to, to Joe and him wanting to do everything as real as possible. Uh, Joe Barra. And um, so we all always put some kind of blood rig where there's supposed to be a sword, even though the sword doesn't exist. You know, they had the sword afterwards and we'll be doing a big old gruesome blood spurt from the area it's supposed to go into will come out of. Mm. So yeah, we normally have to wreak blood gags on, on, on the uh, actors or the stunts. Um, and then it's all a question of getting it right and, and getting it in the camera, you know, because half the time it's, they're full of adrenaline and they're flying around everywhere. But when they, if they hit the button at the wrong time, we don't see it. Um, but you always know, it, we always know it's gone off because everything's covered in blood. <coughs> so, <laughs> it's just, the camera Do you have a- <laughs> I don't know if this is a disgusting question, but do you have a favorite, like, blood yeah. spatter, blood spurt? I do. Yeah. I do, actually. Yeah. I think the whole mountain thing was great. When we did the, 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 oh. ma- the, the mountain, mountain practice in, in uh, Dubrovnik, and he was chopping up the, the guys he was practicing against. There was lots of blood gags in that. And then when we did yeah. the the viper, as well the, the mountain yes. and the viper, we uh, we mm-hmm. we practiced those those eye squeezes. <laughs> we had loads of footage of those eye squeezes. And then then you know we yeah there was just lots of moments of fond memories of that one. Yeah, fond fond memories. Did you did, are you saying eye squeezes? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, eye squeezes. 
Yeah, you know, haven't you heard of that before? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you say it all the time, though. <laughs> I think that was a moment where everyone screamed when they watched it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's probably the 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 blood spatter of Game of Thrones is is the viper's yeah. head popping open like that. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that uh, there was a quick one when we were doing it, and uh, I had to do it to the uh, script, a blood spurt, and one of the blood spurts, and uh, I set it all up to the test. And when we did it on the shoot, the uh, the first assistant um, insisted he stood behind me, and he was wearing white shirt and a lovely Panama hat. And I said, "You better not stand there; you're going to get covered." And he said, "No way, I'm going to get covered." So we, 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 you know, filmed it and I hit my cue and, uh, he didn't shout cut. He shouted something else. <laughs> <laughs> I turned around and he was absolutely covered. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a good memory. <laughs> and then you, because you were working in the sunnier locations at season five, you didn't do, um, the Jon Snow's stabbing, right? That's, that's the, the yeah, dragon the, unit. The yeah, dragon. the dragon. Yes, yeah, dragon unit did that. Yep. Start in season six. The we had to carry that on because he was right. in. He was in his pile at the start of season six, and they t- took him off to to his room in his dead state. So yeah, but the the actual stabbing itself was was the was quite complex insofar as knowing exactly where these stabs were going to happen. Um, and the lads had to kind of make pipe work through the, through the costume and all that sort of thing and make sure that the blood was pumping out the same places that the guys were stabbing, which is really tricky because, you know, it's so easy to sort of point at a picture and say, well, there's a hole. But when they're actually in the action, it changes everything. So, yeah. But when he, when he lies down, there was, there was copious amounts of pipe, uh, pipes going into to him, and he's lying in his spot. And um, the lads built a... Um, a fiberglass mound in the shape of a snow pile that he could lie in. So therefore we had a constant flow of blood because the snow just stops the blood instantly. You know, it comes out and it just disappears. Oh, you can't right. see it. So you can waste course, gallons and gallons yeah. and gallons of blood and not see anything. So rather than do that, the lads built this um, fiberglass sort of shape and then the blood obviously can't sink in. It just has to go. So it runs out. Runs out. Yeah. And I don't know if you pay attention to... Um silly fan theory nonsense but i remember when that happened there was all this people were so sure that you could see like a dragon and a wolf in in the blood ooze there was is that were is that people being <clears throat> mental and look and seeing something that wasn't there i don't you know uh, there's, there's a small recollection of because also i think someone said that about when they broke for the east watch wall and they reckon that the the army, the army of the dead, was shaped like the wolf head, mm. and but I don't know if that was intended for the blood. Actually, I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't. I, sometimes, unless of course they did it in post, they might have done it in post. But the blood that came out kind of just did what it had to do. Kind of ran out, right. and ran across the, right. the fiberglass. You know, just did its job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's also. I'm sorry if this is gross that I'm just like on a blood blood it's spree not, now. But you, you're um, not going to gross me out. <laughs> the, um, I was just thinking about um, the poison uh, that the that the women in Dorn use, where you get this this bleed, this trickle that comes out of your nose. Yeah. How do you do that? That sort of that trickle like that. Well, there's there's a million ways to do it, but the easiest way was that makeup literally just 
squirted some blood up the nose and it just sort of comes out on its own gravity. So that's more that's more makeup than more makeup. Than yeah, you normally, guys yeah, s- normally if sticking they, if, a pipe up an actor's nose, sticking a pipe up to actor's nose would would be would be <laughs> would be more harsh in some respects. Like we but we did a we did a twenty eight um, days later and one of the actors we had to make a vomit rig. And oh. uh, so we, we, it was a pipe at the side of the mouth and it just spewed out just blood and viscous. So, oh, uh, viscous. lovely. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> oh, yeah. was going to ask you. Told you weren't going to I was going to ask you, what What did you work on before that you feel like most prepared you to work on Game of Thrones? Um. Well, I mean, I, well, I did Troy, I did loads of things. Um but uh, I think 28 Days Later was good because it was improvised. A lot of it was improvised. We all knew what was Buffy going on, but we did a lot of stuff from the back of the truck. You know, Danny would, would have a, we would all have a meeting in the morning, like a breakfast on the bus, and then we'd discuss how we do the day, and then Danny would go, I'd really like to see something like this. And, uh, you know, we'd come up with what games we could. We had in the back of the truck. He'd give us, you know, he'd say, how long would it take for do this and I'll say I'll cut their hours and you know so okay we won't use you for a couple of hours at the start of the day go and make something and we come back wow. and, we, and show them and be like Rick, let's get cameras on it <laughs> that's so, such a good looking movie too that's a great such yeah a great movie. yeah he's yeah. fantastic director great man inspirational <laughs> <laughs> um and then um I know like I've I've talked to a bunch of people about this so I'm going to ask you this question. I know you can't like say much at all, but uh, is there anything that you're excited for people to see in season eight um, that you worked on? If there's anything like vaguely you can say about that, um, I think I can probably say expect much, much bigger. Expect horror. Expect all sorts of violence. All, all sorts of you know, it's the end game, isn't it? So mm-hmm. you know. Stuff has to be destroyed. Um, that's about as far as I can go. I don't think I can go much more than that. You know, <laughs> that's the right. Well, is before. it is it is it fair to say that there that your your blood guys were busy in season eight? You know, we were, or every part of us were busy. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm sure. so that kind of says everything. It, it, Everything yeah. was everything was brought to the table and, and multiplied by five thousand. Um, and, 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 and you know that wasn't a lot of that was pretty much every department. You know, so I think records were broken in season seven, and I think everyone tried to break as many records as they possibly could in the last one. <laughs> so yeah, expect big. Um, was there? And this, this I don't think is spoilery. It's just sort of. Uh, more emotion like how did you feel when you did the last thing you were ever going to do uh for game of thrones um tired <laughs> <laughs> i was just i've been on it for uh, a year and a couple of months and yeah. um when we started filming um we'd never had a rest bite and then the last thing we did when when it was you know called cut that was the last that was the last of frame of a film ever to go for a camera for Game of Thrones and it was like emotion emotion obviously and uh, but tiredness tired elation and uh, what I wanted was a beer <laughs> <laughs> and a holiday well, you probably... 
<laughs> well, you probably earned it. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really, really appreciate it. This that's okay. Really great. I, yeah, that's fine. Okay. I hope I'm bored too much. No, no. Uh, and I don't think any uh, uh, eye squeezes is like a phrase <laughs> that will take with me forever. So, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so that is it for Spoils of War. Now is the time, drum roll, to announce our our final episode. Richard, what are we going to talk about next time on Still Watching? We are going to talk about the granddaddy of them all, Season 6, Episode 10, The Winds of Winter. <gasps> the Winds of Winter are upon us, it's, yes. It's boom boom. Everything go boom boom. <laughs> Yeah, Everything Go Boom Boom is the technical name of the episode. Uh, we will be talking about the sept explosion, stuff like that. We will explain to you why we think that, like this is the episode, but it is the one that Richard and I unanimously agreed upon was like the episode. So we will talk about that next time. We also have a great interview uh, with composer Ramin Javadi on that episode. So uh, we will see you. That will, that will drop on Sunday, uh, premiere time. So... Uh, you can listen to it Sunday morning, get all amped up uh, for the season eight premiere of Game of Thrones. Uh, this episode itself was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. Richard, until we're back for Boom Boom Time, where can people find you? In a cave doing an elaborate series of like faked ancient drawings trying to convince Richard Madden to love me. Um, but I'll also be on Twitter at Rylaws and BF.com. Where will you be? Um, I'll be with Bran just waiting to hear him drop more truth bombs on people about weird things he knows about their lives in Winterfell because that seems like a really fun game to me. Bran, go ahead. Do that thing. (laughs) It's like in movies like Edge of Tomorrow where someone repeats the day and it's just so fun watching them like spook people because they're like, he's going to sit there, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, otherwise, you can find me on VF.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Also, Richard and I talked about uh, Game of Thrones on our other podcast, Little Gold Men, this week. So if you want to check that out, uh, as if you haven't heard us talk enough about Game of Thrones, uh, we do some more over there. Uh, we will see you next time. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.